To begin this this morning, let's read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Actually, the verse we ended on our lesson last week. We'll begin here this week in our series of lessons on the essential doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we believe what we believe? And why is it important to know why you believe what you believe? And so in this series of lessons, we're, we're touching on those essential fundamental doctrines that we are taught specifically by the epistles of the, the Apostle Paul, who received the full revelation of the grace of God for this church age. And so let's read once again Galatians 5 and verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Last week we, we considered the essential doctrine of the two natures of the believer and how that we can live a life of victory over sin. Sin doesn't have to dominate the life of the Christian. We have a choice. Unlike the unbeliever who only has that old sinful nature that we all received in the natural birth from Adam. But when we are born again, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we receive the very life of Jesus Christ. We have a power. We are a creature. We are a creation that's new, that we weren't before. It's a spiritual birth. It's a miraculous birth. But that power is real, that power to live a life of godliness. And oftentimes God's people fall short of that. We don't lose our eternal life. We don't lose that salvation that we received only by God's grace. But our fellowship with our Father is broken. And when we acknowledge our sin as a child of God, when there's repentance and we turn from that sin and we return to that path of righteousness, we are restored to fellowship and we can enjoy the fullness of God's grace from that point on. But when we talk about victory over sin, we need to understand the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the importance. You cannot live a life of victory. You cannot live a life that God wants you to live as a child of God without the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what, what exactly does that mean? When Paul tells us to walk in the Spirit, it has that twofold meaning. First, he's speaking of yielding to that new spiritual nature that's within us, the life of Christ. But the, then he's also pointing to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, that third member of the Trinity. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. This is a doctrine, a truth that we need to understand as God's children if we are going to grow spiritually, if we're going to mature, if we're going to be all that Christ died to make us. We are his children already. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are forever a child of God. But Paul talks about carnal believers. He talks about babes in Christ. But here he gives a different description of a different kind of Christian. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And in the Greek it's clear that sons is not just a child, not just a born one, which everyone who's accepted Jesus is, but this has to do with maturity a full-grown, mature son, and only those that are led by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit. So we can't reach our full potential as Christians without acknowledging 
and understanding the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. If we do not learn to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, then we're going to be characterized by sin and carnality. Have you noticed that there are some Christians that you can't tell that they're a Christian because they act and talk just like the world, just like the unsaved individual? Oh, they they came to a genuine rebirth at one point in their life. They acknowledged that they were a sinner, acknowledged that Jesus paid the price, and they were genuinely, eternally born again. But they've never learned to grow. They've never learned to walk in the Spirit, to be directed and dominated. The Spirit of God knows the will of God. And so he's the one who's going to not only reveal the will of God to us, we can't understand what God's will is, we can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit revealing that to us. But he doesn't stop there. He's, he also is the power that enables us to do the will of God, to actually obey. So many Christians say, oh, Brother Doug, I can't be the kind of Christian that you say I need to be or that the Bible says I need to be. You just don't know my weaknesses. Well, if you're a child of God, you don't know your potential, if that's your approach. You have the ability to be everything God wants you to be, but you have to learn to tap into that power. You have to acknowledge where that power comes from. And so this brings us to our next essential doctrine in, in this series, And that has to do with the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, before anybody comes to a conclusion, some of you will applaud. Some of you are going to moan. Oh, no, here we go. Let's go to the Word of God and see what it says. As a child of God, the only source of truth for you is the Bible, the Word of God, not Brother Doug. Not Abundant Grace Fellowship, not any other preacher you want to talk about. Whatever I say is to be judged in the light of the Word of God. And so let's, let's take some time this morning to, for some, this is, this is old stuff. Oh, yeah, I know that. Let's go on. For others, this may be new. For others, you don't want to hear about it. But what does the Bible say about this doctrine of the importance of the infilling of the Holy Spirit? We'll have several lessons on this. This is going to be kind of an introduction because, as we've already read, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, we have to know who the Holy Spirit is and how he works and why he works. And so we'll take some time to study this. So this morning will be somewhat of a, an introduction. As I mentioned, there's, there's different reactions to this doctrine. Some, some have been raised with this, and, and they're going to say, Amen, Brother Doug, preach it. And then again, others are rejecting it outright. Some may just not have made a decision about it yet. And my responsibility as a pastor is not to try to make those who agree with me happy. That's a temptation, you know, preach, preach to the core. Uh, that's not my responsibility as a pastor. Uh, nor is it my responsibility to try to convince those who disagree with me. That's not why I'm here. And nor am I try to try to make someone feel guilty if they don't agree with me. As a pastor, I'm here simply to maintain the well of water of truth and to present it, to proclaim it. And on a personal basis, most of you understand that from, from the pulpit, I preach without apology what I believe to be the revelation of truth in the Word of God. But when I leave the pulpit, I don't go up to everyone and I 
ask them personally, have you, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you spoken tongues? That's not my place. Once I have proclaimed truth, that's between you and your father and what you do with it. I pray for you. I know what, what God's will is according to his word, but that each one has to make that choice. Is this really biblical? Is it truth? And so let's, let's take that journey in the word of God and, and see what we have here. And I want to say this as well. Often when I minister to, to those who reject this doctrine, they often say that other Christians make me feel guilty if I have not been filled with the Holy Spirit. They make me feel inferior. And the reality is there are those obnoxious Christians. But receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a very personal matter, and it's not a matter of giving in to peer pressure. That, that's never going to lead to, to God's work in your life. Receiving this gift of the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in, in an unknown tongue, it is a matter of revelation. It's a matter of knowing this is for me because it's God's will, my Father's will for me. Not because I want to impress someone, not because I want to be part of the group, but because this is the will of God. Matthew chapter 5. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a matter of spiritual hunger and thirst. Not peer pressure, not any other reason, but because you know it's right and because you desire to have everything that Christ died to give you. Now again, we're going to find out that this gift is only for the saved. So this is for God's children. Matthew 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now that truth pertains to all of God's righteousness. In other words, all that is right for you, his will. We have to hunger and thirst after what he wants for us, because we know that's what's best for us. And a part of that, it's not all of it, but a part of that is understanding this gift of the Holy Spirit to God's children. We have to make it a priority to determine if this experience is the will of God or not. Start there. Again, I'm, I'm not here to try to convince you. If the Word of God doesn't convince you, I, I can talk till I'm blue in the face. But search it out. Don't, don't just ignore it. But is this the will of God for me? According to the revelation in His Word. If it's not, ignore it. Walk away from it. But if it is... You need to desire it intensely, with a passion, hunger and thirst, with the same passion that when you are really hungry, what do you do? Those of you have, that have teenage children, um, what do they do when they're hungry? They go looking for something, and they don't stop until they find it. That's what the child of God should do concerning this gift, concerning all of the will of God, but also for this part of the will of God, hunger and thirst. I want our children and our young people to listen carefully to these lessons and to know that this is God's will for you as revealed in the Word of God, and then for you to begin to personally seek after this, not for anybody else's sake, not for your parents, your grandparents, your pastor, but this relationship with you with, with your father, that's personal. Hunger and thirst after his righteousness. In this study, I'm going to do... A study that, that really is in context of all of what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. Because 
Many errors have been taught over the years about the Holy, the Holy Spirit, including this gift of the Holy Spirit, because it's taken out of context. The fundamentalists, they, they focus on the miracle of speaking in tongues, and they say, that we don't want anything to do with that. that that's, that's just scary. It's supernatural, and we don't want to deal with that anymore. And so the fundamentalists, they, they throw it out and say that experience is not for the Christian. We get everything we're supposed to have when we're saved. That's what the fundamentalists teach. And then there are the many Pentecostals and Charismatics that go to another extreme. And they focus on the, the miracle of speaking in tongues, and that's, that's what they seek after. And, and they wear it as a badge of honor. And it leads to self-righteousness and arrogance. And yet they never understand that the gift is given that we might live a life of godliness. And we know, we all know, we don't have to look very far. We all know Christians that have had this experience, spoken in tongues, and they are the most carnal Christians you'll ever meet. What happened? Why? Because they focused on the wrong thing. You hunger and thirst not, not after speaking in tongues. You hunger and thirst after his righteousness. You hunger and thirst after the gift that he's promised you, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit in his fullness. And the miracle in tongues, that'll come automatically. And so there's a balance here. And this is, this is what we want to look at in this study. Many reject the, the speaking in tongues because it's so strange. But you have to ask yourself, we're going to read passages where clearly it's recorded for us, God's people spoke in tongues. So was that, if God used that in that time, should we automatically say, well, in this time, we reject that? Now, if in the Word of God it says between that time and this time God changed directions, then yeah, we should, we should understand, oh, okay, he's changed course. But we're, we don't read that in Scripture. And so you can't just throw out tongues unless you're going to start tearing out parts of your Bible. And if you're a genuine Christian that says you're a Bible believer, you're, you're not going to do that. So let's, let's continue to look a little, little further. We know that with God, nothing is impossible. He can make me. Oh, you say, well, Brother Doug, you don't know my faults. You don't know my tendencies. You don't know my weaknesses. No, I don't. But God does, and he still says some things about you. You can be everything God wants you to be, but only by the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. We've been given access to the very power of God. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the distributor of the power of God. And so if you're, if you're going to access the power to live a godly life, you have to do it through the conduit of the Holy Spirit. It's really that simple. A farmer who has an irrigation system, he may have all the water he needs in his reservoir, but unless he turns on the spigot, his crops aren't going to grow. And the same is true with the Christian. We need to access the source of power, that life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. In Zechariah 4, verses 6 and 7, we won't turn there, but if you, want to, if you want to note it down, Zerubbabel was given the impossible task of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem after it was destroyed and after the Babylonian captivity. Impossible. It was, they were a small band. They didn't have a lot of money. They had enemies that didn't want them to build. It was an impossible task for this individual to be tasked with. But he was given encouragement, and he said, it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. You may think it's impossible for you to live a godly life, to be the kind of Christian you ought to be. But that impossible task, 
It's not by your might. It's not by your power, but it's by the spirit of the Lord. So we need to look at that. Where do we begin? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verses 38 to 39. Before you're saved, you don't know it, but the Holy Spirit is already working. When you were saved and you felt that conviction, I'm a sinner. You know where that conviction came from? The Holy Spirit. He's the one who convicted you. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. You didn't know it was the Holy Spirit. You just knew the conviction was real. And then the revelation that Jesus paid the price in full. Where did that revelation come from? Did you just think it up? Did someone convince you of it through debate? No, the Holy Spirit was there saying Jesus is the Savior. He's the one who gave you that revelation. Again, you didn't know it. You didn't say, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. But he was already working. And then when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, it was the Holy Spirit that translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. The Holy Spirit did that, and you didn't even know it. So he's already done a lot in your life without you even knowing who he was. And then little by little, you begin to understand a little more about the third person in the Trinity. And this is where we come to this other experience that after you're saved, after you're born again, There needs to come a point in your life, in your Christian walk, where you acknowledge who the Holy Spirit is. He's already worked. He's already there in your life. But now you need to acknowledge him and learn to surrender to his work. Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The gift of the Holy Spirit. It is given to all who call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, for those that are saved. Now, from this passage, we can understand that the gift or the promise of receiving the Holy Spirit is given only to those that are saved or called. God's elect. It's not offered to the unsaved, but to the called. We also understand from this passage that the gift is for all of God's people, not just some, but all of them. Now, it's not clear from this passage alone, we will soon discover that that it's not an experience that the believer receives when they accept Jesus as their Savior. That's not clear in this passage. But as we begin to connect all the dots, we'll see that this is a separate experience from accepting Jesus as your Savior. Some are not comfortable with that idea. Why didn't we get it all when we're saved? Well, you look at the Christian experience and we see that we are to grow and we are changed from glory to glory to glory as we mature. And so this isn't contrary to God's way of doing things at all, that there, there's a growth. There are steps that cause us to keep going forward in our walk with the Lord. Salvation and water baptism are two different experiences. Sanctification is an ongoing experience. And so again, receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it's different from being saved. It doesn't make you more saved. We need to understand that. Again, some of those obnoxious Christians will tell you, some will tell you, you're not even really saved till you speak in tongues. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Having this experience won't make you more saved. It won't make you more loved by God. It simply is a step that's going to lead to your full potential that your Father has for you. Let's go to John 14, verses 16 and 17. 
John 14, 16, and 17. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. So another helper besides Christ. And that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. This is not for the unsaved, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus speaking to his disciples before the day of Pentecost. Now, remember, Peter had already had a revelation that Jesus was the Christ. And what did Jesus say? Who gave you that revelation, Peter? The only way you can know that is from my father. So Peter was already saved. And then on the day of Pentecost, two things took place. The church was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is, the church was born, that body of Christ. That was a one-time experience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, two things happened on the day of Pentecost. The church was baptized, one baptism, one time. But there were also signs that those 120 individuals received the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, on the day of Pentecost, there were two sets of signs. One set was never repeated because that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit of the church once for all. Those signs were wind and fire. We don't see those repeated when others later on receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then the one evidence of speaking in an unknown tongue, we see that's repeated. There are five accounts in the New Testament of believers having this experience and speaking in tongues. Three of those are clear what the evidence are. The other two are not clear what the evidence is, but that there was evidence. And so we can assume from the other three accounts, it must be the same. And so that miracle is, that evidence is repeated. And so there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit of the church one time. And so it is not scripturally correct to say, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit when I spoke in tongues. No, you were, you were baptized on the day of Pentecost into the body of Christ, but you received the gift of the Holy Spirit the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Acts 11. I am not getting anywhere near as far as I hoped I would this morning. (laughs) But rather than rush through this important topic, we'll touch on a few things here before we close. But let's read Acts 11, verses 16 and 17. Acts 11, verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Peter here is defending him bringing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And the saved Jews said, well, we can't have that. That can't be. But the same Holy Spirit that baptized the one church is the same Holy Spirit that gave not only Peter the gift of the Holy Spirit, but also these Gentiles. Peter is saying that the same Spirit that baptized the body of Christ and filled them on the day of Pentecost is the same Spirit that was given as a gift in the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. So there are several, there are a number of works that the Holy Spirit does and that are listed in Scripture. There's the baptism, there's the anointing, The anointing of the Holy Spirit has to do with his revealing and 
enabling of the believer to do the will of God. There's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The moment anyone accepts Jesus as their Savior, they are sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. It's a guarantee. So when you're saved, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But that's not the same as the gift, as we will see. We're going to read of accounts where those that were already saved, sealed by the Holy Spirit, after their salvation, they have a separate experience of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And so that's what we want to, to consider. Is that really for us? We'll close with this in Luke chapter 11 and verses 5 to 13. We'll pick this up, Lord willing, next Sunday. But the question is, okay, Brother Doug, if after we study the, the Word of God and I've searched the Scripture and I come to the conclusion, I understand and if you understand, it's because the Holy Spirit made you understand it, not because I'm such a great speaker, but because the Holy Spirit and the Word of God made it real to you. Now that I understand this is the will of God for me, how do I receive it? What do I do? The first thing is found here in Luke 11, verses 5 to 13. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though, he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. That's man's way of dealing with it, just to get rid of him. So I say to you, ask. Now in the Greek, it's the gerund form, so the thought is, keep asking. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, keep seeking, and you will find. Knock, keep knocking, and it will be open to you. For everyone who does what? Asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? There are some Christians who reject this doctrine, this truth of the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and they say, that's of the devil. It'll do you harm if you go that route. And so God is given an example. Well, Natural fathers who have a sinful heart, would they give a serpent to a son who asks for something good? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? Who? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Who's asking whom for what? A child is asking the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not an unsaved person, but a child. God's child is asking his loving Heavenly Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the answer to the question, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? The first thing is, ask, seek, knock. We'll continue the study, Lord willing, next week to continue to build that that unshakable foundation of Scripture for this truth and why it's important that every individual seek it with all of their heart 
Again, not to impress anybody, not to wear it as a badge of honor, but simply to tap into the full power of what God has for you as a child of God. So we'll close there this morning. Let's have a song in closing.